and this was one of the best years of my life. I don't know, because it's a music podcast, so I didn't, I didn't go that far. Wait, 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 wait. Well, I figured, you know, if it goes well, then that's because of me. If it goes bad, that's because of you guys. So I'm not too worried. <laughs> <laughs> you can bend behind the nut. You were just thinking of Babs Bunny. <laughs> this is a hot bunny, man. Bunnies could be hot. Club banger. Flam jam. Dude, you can't judge someone's personal life and their music, otherwise you wouldn't like Kanye. And Kanye's awesome. His music is awesome. He sucks. And now, see, I was going to the ball game, my buddy Tom, we couldn't play Zigzag Wiggle Wham by the new Ball J Boys. So close. Welcome to the Basin Trouble Podcast. My name is Neil. And I'm Steve. And for our 10th, that's 1-0, official podcast, we are going to celebrate that milestone by trying something new. We've done studio albums. Last week we had a live album. This week we're going with a greatest hits album as a tribute to one of alternative music's all-time greatest frontmen who passed away this month. Yep. And from there we're going to talk about this week in music news. We're going to talk about the sucky song of the day, and it's probably going to get stuck in your head for the rest of the week. Not even sure if that's possible. Now, if you haven't already subscribed, go ahead and check us out on iTunes or SoundCloud or the website created by Steve himself, BassInTroublePodcast.com. Or you can find us on Facebook. Just look up Bass and Treble. Or you can find us on Twitter at BassTroublePod for daily content. All right, Steve, this week you picked the album, and uh, we went ahead and did a greatest hits... Tell us a little bit about it. All right. Well, earlier this month, Scott Weiland passed away. He was the lead singer of a band called Stone Temple Pilots. Real big in the 90s. They, you know, were one of the godfathers of grunge, one of the one of the parents of grunge. I don't know what the right familial relationship would be. One of the drunk uncles of grunge. <laughs> That's probably most accurate. <laughs> so, uh, you know, they have a bunch of different albums and i uh, wanted to figure out which one we can cover on this podcast that would kind of cover everything so i figured maybe it's time for a greatest hits album i think it was a good choice and uh, i think it's also good that we cover a band uh with a abbreviated name so stone table pilots also reference a lot as stp which makes me think of a fuel additive and that's no coincidence <laughs> apparently uh apparently that was they used to do as you know young kids as they had those impressive stp stickers on their bicycles and we're like hey let's just name our band stp no that 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 story is just not true dude <laughs> <laughs> uh this band was originally called mighty joe young they uh right. started get, started playing around la back in the early 90s and they called themselves mighty joe young once they actually got a record deal with atlantic records they realized that name was already taken so they changed their name to Shirley Temple's Pussy, which of course also didn't fly so well. So they wanted to keep those initials, STP, so they're just like, fine, Stone Temple Pilots, and that was the name that stuck. Yeah, apparently another possible, possible name they kicked around was Stinky Toilet Paper. But <laughs> the, <laughs> the origins of the band name are actually the STP brand, uh, which means scientifically treated petroleum. So that actual name was in the background uh, for many years, but they did go as Mighty Go Young. Apparently it was some blues player named Mighty, Yo- Mighty Joe Young. Also, wasn't there a movie later on in the 2000s about a like a monkey? <laughs> I think it was more like a King Kong type of <laughs> like, setup, yeah. Yeah, type of thing. Um, Mighty Joe Young. So, you know, whether it had deeper meaning or not, apparently it did it. Stone, a Stone Temple pilot um, is kind of interesting. I dug a little bit, and a Vimana is a mythical flying palace or chariot described in Hindu text and Sanskrit epics. When you look it up, it's just a giant flying stone temple that a god sat in. <laughs> wow, so, you really must have done a little research to come up with that. You, you would be surprised at how the comment sections on the internet give you all kinds of treasure troves of information. <laughs> <laughs> you have done your digging. <laughs> yeah, and um, I thought that was really neat. So whether they meant it or not, it's got a deeper meaning. Um, cool. So... Other than Scott Wyland, got the pronunciation down right, um, the rest of the band consisted of a of a brother duo, which is pretty neat. You don't see that too much. And right, Dean and Robert, I don't D- even know. Dean DeLeo and Robert DeLeo. Uh, Dean was the guitarist, Robert was the bassist, 
And we also had Eric Kretz, who was the drummer. The band started when Robert DeLeo uh, met with Scott Weiland, and uh, they were at a Black Flag concert in Long Beach, California. And uh, Hardcore stuff. What really brought them together was that they realized they were dating the same woman. <laughs> so uh, That's an interesting way to, like, hey, uh, got a familiar territory? Yeah, I'm there all the time. What's funny, she ended up moving to Texas, and then Weiland and, and Robert DeLeo moved into her old apartment, and that's where they formed the band. All my exes live in Texas. <laughs> they, they can both say that. So it was released November 11th, 2003, the greatest hits album. It's 11-11. Make a wish. <laughs> I just uh, <laughs> just wanted to go a little further in it. So what does this album mean to you, Steve? Well, yeah, like I was saying a little bit before, it's uh, it's a compilation of the best work from one of the definitive bands of the 90s. Um, I think a lot of the songs on here kind of defined what grunge meant. You know, they had a lot of heavy distortion, lots of really cool guitar riffs, and uh, you put it all together like this, and it was a good example of, of their diversity. They were able to go from the hardcore alternative sound, and they also had a bunch of really kind of mellow, loungy rock. Uh, Lady Picture Show is one of the songs we'll get into a little bit. Uh, they were also really good at, at acoustic sets. Uh, they played a really popular unplugged session on MTV, and uh, it was one of their defining moments, actually. So what's nice about this album is that it takes you know their entire career and kind of picks and chooses all their best songs and uh, yeah. puts it together in a very digestible format. Yeah, it's only one. It's one of three compilation works of theirs, and it's the only one that cracked the Billboard 200 at number 26. Their album, Purple, which is probably their most popular album, or is their most popular album, peaked at number one in the U.S. and U.K. I was surprised to learn that this band is 26-time platinum in sales globally. They're a lot, they're a, they're a very popular band, <laughs> and a lot of, uh, they've had a lot of success. And so when you say definitive, um, do you, would you say that they've, they were influential and, and kind of in that same space as like a Nirvana and a, that type of style? Smashing Pumpkins, like a like a grunge alternative pioneer. That's exactly it. Pioneer is a great word, because yeah, when you're talking about rock and roll in the '90s, grunge is almost synonymous. Like it it was the style of rock music in the '90s. You know, you can mm -hmm. talk about classic rock in the '70s. You could talk about new wave and and hair bands and 80s. metal in the '80s. And the '90s, I think the word that defines rock and roll would be grunge. And all right. the bands you just mentioned, a lot of the Seattle scene, a lot of the California scene, um, defined grunge. And uh, Stone Temple Pilots were on the cutting edge of that from the start. Yeah, you know, this band, um, to me, kind of comparatively, as far as pioneers, kind of maybe think a lot of like a Jane's Addiction, where they had such a definitive style that everybody else sounded almost like a like they were ripping off of them. They were such a unique sound. And yeah. I think for the uh, for what it's worth, the album, thank you, this compilation was called Nearly Perfect by All Music, which is a website I love a lot. All Music, Stephen Irwin, who wrote that STP made music that sounded great at the time and even better now, and that the band's music had stood the test of time. Ironically, Rolling Stone, who initially named STP as the worst new artist of 1993, gave the album four out of five stars, which is a high-ass rating for Rolling Stone. But that wouldn't be the first time Rolling Stone went back on an initial review of an artist. They did it with Zeppelin, too. They initially trashed them, and then later on had to uh, admit that they were jumping the gun. Yeah, that's exactly it. They're jumping the gun. It's kind of a sign of an artist who was before their time. When they came out, it, it didn't really fit. It was you know, bombastic. It was new. It was unique. It was different. And over time, the standard format kind of formed around their influence. Absolutely. And with that, I think it's time for... Stone Temple Pilots started as a Frank Sinatra cover band, mostly playing small lounges and wedding parties. Yeah, let's say. It wasn't until Jim Morrison died in 1971 that they begin their mastery of grunge music. Really? You know, it's funny because Frank Sinatra would have been 100 uh, this week. It's his uh, 100th birthday. Did you know that for a while... Chester Benningfield from Lincoln Park took over as lead singer of Stone Temple Pilots. He is fluent in the language of love and would often keep cereal in his pocket to attract women. A lot of Chesters do that. 
I just got it. I just got the joke. <laughs> Scott Weiland has been in every single rock band since 1985. All of them. <laughs> That's a lot. That's a lot of work he's gotten. No wonder he's. No wonder he was who he was. So what human oddity links STP's drummer with the Icelandic singer Bjork? I don't know. What? Nothing. STP and Bjork have nothing in common. Uh, Unless you count that one time they were on Details Magazine in 1994 together. But that's neither here nor there, Steve. And that concludes our... <laughs> right. So let's hop into these tracks. The first track is uh, also your favorite form of lubrication. They're, they don't have a song called KY Jelly, man. Anyways, Vaseline, Vaseline Steve, is a... Uh, one of the shorter songs on this compilation. And what do you think about it? It's a good way to start off with Greatest Hits, right? Yeah, I would expect a Greatest Hits to go chronologically, but I guess it doesn't actually happen this way. Vaseline was one of their hits, but it definitely wasn't on their, uh, wasn't one of their first songs to get popular. You know why they don't go chronologically? Because a lot of Greatest Hits then would be like, from either they were really good to now they suck, to like they really were shitty and now they're better i see so yeah i mean the song is great it it's actually a good way to start the album because the opening riff is distinct it's really just those two notes back and forth for for what seems like ever and it's just the epitome of 90s rock it's one of their biggest hits and it's a great way to start out the album yeah, I think, I think it covers all the 90s rock bases and that it's heavy and just kind of relentless. Um, I like the way the harmonies and, and the harmonies, vocal harmonies, and the guitars just rock and kick ass. It's a headbanging song. And um, I know I just mentioned this, but this sounds like it could be a Jade's Addiction song with a better singer in Wyland. And, and this song, like my annoyance level with Wyland's voice in it, is super low which will change as this album progresses. But for this song, <laughs> it's awesome. It starts you out easy. into a song called Down. What I thought about when I listened to the song is drop D tuning. You tune it down the lowest string and then you just have to use one finger to make a bar chord. Yeah, it makes the, the alternative chords so much easier to play when you just drop that one string. Right, and you know how you know when a song is in drop D? Because it sounds like Soundgarden. Yeah, although Soundgarden is probably the best ones that did it. Other than this band, Rage Against the Machine, any other time I, you hear it, it's usually some boring song. I think this song is a biker song. And I know it sounds like I'm hating it, but it's just generic as hell sounding to me. It's very like first chorus, very solo chorus, atypical song. And I'm not a fan of any chorus. Let it be on the record. Any chorus that starts off with yeah. Because normally <laughs> you could just add anything else be like, yeah, mashed potato, polka dot, chips. But like nobody's going to listen to it because they're listening to the yeah in the beginning of the chorus, which is... Unless you're Usher, you can make an entire song where you just say yeah 72 times within three minutes. That's funny, because I was going to say that this song is like the Rihanna of 90s grunge songs with just the repetitiveness of that. And to be honest, when this song came out, I don't understand how it became such a big hit. It's not one of their greatest songs, but it was released as a single, people loved it, climbed the charts, and somehow it made it on their greatest hits. Yeah, I think like their sound is really conducive to like girls who have daddy issues having sex with guys who don't deserve it yeah it's just such a generic song to me but we can, we can move past it yeah yeah then Wicked Garden is the third track and this song kicks all kinds of ass yes this is one of their greatest tracks actually to go from that into this this song really was I think Scott Weiland's Demons coming out 
You know, he put himself out there on the line in this song. And you can hear it in the words he's talking about, in the way he's singing it. Everything about this song is just deep and dark. Yeah, and the guitar riffs in this freaking amazing guitar song more than makes up for Waylon's the way he holds out the words of the bridge annoys me like <laughs> I don't like that but that that is classic that hold out like you know how it just stops yep. when they go into the burn burn part it's, it cuts. Uh, it's rock it's a it's um it's just a, it's just a rock band's expectation after this song was to have that kind of cool dynamic and I'm a huge fan of the song everything in it it's a, it's a hell of a song. I couldn't agree more. Uh, from there we move on to Big Empty. This is the fourth track on the album. And um, this song I like a lot because I think the first time I heard it was on the Unplugged album. I think this uh, got real big from un from the Unplugged soundtrack. Yeah, this song has a cool, like, loud, soft, loud, soft, louder type of dynamic. And it's just a really good song to to, like listen to the finer points of 90s alternative rock singing like he just does a really good job of, uh, of putting it all together and I like it it's and is it me or is like every song that they do more or less a good breakup song <laughs> yeah I guess you can say that it's definitely a downer yeah uh, what I like about this song if we can go back to a term that you coined here a few episodes ago is the musicality of it I like the musicality of this song, the bass line on this song. Maybe it's because it's from oh, yeah. the Unplugged session. It's just a smooth, buttery smooth bass line. He just floats up and down that that, that bass groove. And uh, right. it stands out to me. It's one of the best, it's one of my favorite songs on bass, just because of the way it kind of floats around. And then, not only that, on the guitar side too, you get the, the slide guitar, which just adds a dimension mm -hmm. to this song that's like none other. So. This is the first song where they kind of mellow it out a little bit. The first three songs are pretty powerful, grungy tracks. And then they here they switch into something uh, something unplugged, something a little more mellow, and it shows their diversity a little bit better. Yeah, I think so. It kind of shows the range of, of, of Wyland's voice a little more and the range of this band. Yep. That leads to the next track, Plush, which is a staple for every South Florida cover band. Like, I've heard this song played a hundred different times, a thousand different ways. I even learned how to play it, and then I unlearned it, because it's a really good song, but it's awkward, and then it starts with this, like, chorus, and then goes into the verse, and it's it sounds like a Pearl Jam song. Like, it's really got this Pearl Jam type of vibe to it. It was all at the same time. It all came out together. It was the beginning of the movement. Can I be the first one to say, and I hate to talk about this in this way, but like, how high was he when he wrote these lyrics? Like, I used to sing the song. <laughs> Where are you going for tomorrow? Where are you going with the master plan? Or whatever the heck he's saying. And then the dogs begin to smell her. I know it's got like deeper meaning, but... I'm not too sure if it does. I think it's just 
high ramblings. Yeah, big time. It's just one of those like like under the bridge type. I don't know. It's just a really ominous song that yes. doesn't. It's like trying really hard to be ominous when it's. That's the problem is that sometimes I'll like think of this and I'll look at it through a keyhole. In reality, when this was written and made, it was new and it was like unique. And now that everybody's kind of like ripped it apart or covered it a thousand times and ruined my taste for it, <laughs> I don't appreciate it as much. And it actually is a, a pretty good song. It's just got some really wacky lyrics. Like, <laughs> well, it was also really their first big hit. Uh, this is the first song that they had that went to number one in the U.S. And not only that, but it's the one that brought them international. You know, they were they had been known with. Uh, sex type thing uh, made it on the charge here in the US but Plush was the first time they really you know broke big just a few months later I don't know I can't see why people like this like you were younger around that time or mean you weren't like this is my heyday yeah this is your heyday like why did you like this song like why do you remember liking this song because it was the beginning of the grunge movement because it, it defines a time where music was coming out and it was a break from the 80s it was music not afraid to bring you down uh you know there's there's so many faces in music right they're just kind of a slower band they're like right. a, like they're like a lower energy band like pro jam is a high energy band and they're more of like a low energy band and then nirvana can kind of swing in both but i think they're more on the higher energy band they were more like the serious serious grunge you can have these darker overtones still come up with great music. Absolutely. So after Plush, we have Big Bang Baby. Oh, I love this song. Yeah, it's a, it's a great... Like, I didn't know about this song, and uh, we used to cover this song, and every time we covered it, people would just... It would rock their socks off, and uh, the lyrics are awesome. Like, I mean, of any yep. song of theirs, there's lyrics in this song. So, so turn it out and burn it, there's a hole in your head. And uh, the little chorus, the little chorus section of like, nothing's for free. It's such a cool song. It's it's a lot of fun. I think it's when these guys were, you know, a little bit more established at that point. They were just enjoying their fame, having fun with it. Yeah, no guitar solo either. It's just no guitar solo. There's just sections to it. There's no 90s guitar solo to it. It's, it's, it's a grungy, grungy ass song man I, I love it I, I can go on and on I love this song a lot this song also has a few throwbacks to 80s hair metal that's what I think of when I hear this song it really? uh yeah I think it's got that style to it just a little bit where it could have fit in the 80s and it would have been just fine you say so I think it's it, it's kind of making fun of itself a little bit and the way they they sing certain parts um but the whole progression of it is is, is really cool it's grungy it's a, it's a grungy tune I like it. That goes right into Creep, which he sounds a lot like Kurt Cobain when he sings in this song. And I love these lyrics. They're dark and gloomy, and his voice is just like naked. Like he's just putting it all out there. What's not fair about this song is that it came out at a similar time as Radiohead's Creep. I didn't and know that. TLC had a song called Creep. There are three songs named Creep that came out with other. And uh, it, maybe it's coincidence, maybe not. Speaking of Creep, did you see the Prince performance of Radiohead's Creep? I did. That was incredible, actually. Wasn't that nuts? Yeah, <laughs> it, it adds a totally different vibe to it. Again, a little bit more of their versatility. They don't have to be power grunge in your face all the time. They can be a little bit more of a slower tempo, lower beat song, and still come up with uh, something that makes it, makes it to the top of the charts. The hook on this song is half the man I used to be. 
And I always thought that's like a very universal message. Like if you're ever a guy and you feel down on yourself or like you made a girl cry or just did something wrong, that half a man I used to be uh, lyric is pretty universal, which I appreciate. Yes. It's everyone can relate to. It's raw. Unless you're a woman and you're like... <laughs> okay. Yep. So the next track on here, after Creep, uh, about halfway through the album, is Lady Picture Show. And this is one of my personal favorites of Stone Temple Pilots because it's just a pretty song. Yeah, I the sound, it's got a real Beatles-esque quality to it. Mm. Yeah, and I heard this song before. I had no idea it was SDP. It doesn't sound like Scott Weiland. Um, and it also has a really cool guitar solo in it. Other than the vocals sounding kind of wacky, because it sounds like him and his buddy are singing and they're not like on point I like the the upbeatness of it it's a more upbeat song which I think they need at this point in the album because it's been kind of down and right I mean upbeat, upbeat musically I don't know if this band has any upbeat happy songs to them And then the next song, Tripping on a Hole in a Paper Heart, which has got to be up there as far as long-ass song title names. This song is fun. I hear this and it like brings me to life. This song just... Uh... This song this song is more 90s than Jinkos and Saved by the Bell, Tripping <laughs> to Grunge. Um, <laughs> it's, <laughs> it's got this real Zeppelin quality to it, and I love the, like his voice kind of ruins it for me, but yeah, this song, is his voice sounds real shtickish to me. I don't know. It's they just the way he sings. I don't know if he was just like, you know, because of his drug problems and stuff, which are well documented and stuff. Like I, I don't know. He always sounded really tormented. That's true. This is where it comes out, and this is also the song where he gets the name for his autobiography or his uh, his memoir, Ed and I'm Not for Sale. Wow. But yeah, this is to me is regardless of what the what he's actually talking about. It's a fun song. It is. I like it. Although, <laughs> I'm taking a look at the lyrics now, and uh, <laughs> it's really... <laughs> Steve's like, thankfully, all the knives in my house are plastic. <laughs> <laughs> Take a breath and make it big. It's the last you'll ever get. It's the last you'll ever choose. Yeah. yeah. Teenage angst has paid off well. <laughs> <laughs> and, oh, here's the part that I oh, that just was jumbled in my head. So keep your bankroll lottery, just have your deathbed motorcade. That doesn't even make sense, dude. Uh, um, spend all your money on the motorcade after you die. Sure, that makes sense. Let's go with that. <laughs> So the next song, Interstate Love Song, ladies and gentlemen, can we take a moment to recognize this as the most overplayed cover song of all time? Like, all time, number one, most overplayed, mediocre band song ever. But I also think it's their greatest song by a long margin. 
it's just like all around the rhythm of this guitar is amazing like everything in this song i love it like his whale his while and singing sounds like he's like like it, the way he sings is how everybody after they listen to sdp and listen to his singing in this song it's like how how they want to sound when they sing like it just has a lot of passion to it i, I like this song a lot and i know it's overplayed and like i said it's really overplayed but it's a very, very good song and quite possibly their best overall song. See, maybe I'm on my own on this one because I would totally agree that it is the most overplayed. That's not even a question in my mind. Now, whether or not it's the best, you have to dig a little bit deeper. If, if you go just on their hits alone, fine. It's a great song. But if you dig a little bit deeper, they have some really amazing songs in there. And I think this one is just another one in the crowd. Do I think Big Bang Baby is a better song? Yes. Like, is Wicked Garden a better song to me? Yes. But I think, yeah, we're talking about commercial and stuff, but I think like as far as like a song that reaches the most amount of people and people connect with it, it's there. And it's it's a catchy little riff, man. It's a cool it little is. that that and it's different from a lot of their other tunes. Like it's a little more melodic than than grunge. Okay. It's more like generic. It's more like contemporary rock, in a sense. Right. Also, I think this song came out a little bit later. Um, right. Did that song not come out on Purple? Uh, yeah, on their second album. Yeah, and that's like their best-selling album and like most yeah. popular one, I think. It was a good one. And then track 11, we can can we both just skip over it? Because it's like a new, a new song, whatever, fucking yeah. weird and heavy and whatever. I see. All right. No, let's have a little discussion here about Fortune Faded is on the Chili Peppers' greatest hits. That's a good song, though. But that's because I'm a Chili Peppers, like, crazy fan. <laughs> like, why don't they just keep it to their greatest hits? Why do they have to throw some new stuff in there? Just Is it like a B-side that they just... Okay, if you're a real collector and you want every single one of our albums, then it, it'll give you something to buy it for. I think it's like, fuck it, you're buying it anyways. Listen to this. Okay, so it just gives the fans a little something extra, I guess. Yeah, I think so. Um, exactly. I think it's like, oh, this song's going to only be released here. It's going to be released in an upcoming album, and here's your sneak peek to it. Um, that's the only reason I see why. But I think it's more of just like, bands do it typically, I think, because then they're going to go on, a, on the road to promote a new album. They want to have that new material in there when they put out a greatest hits so that people aren't thinking like hey we're going on tour that's not to promote our greatest hits album like we have new music like it's not wow dude we're not just one dimensional we're not going to play our greatest hits all the time and then you have opposite of that bands like the eagles which can't not play all its greatest hits and hasn't written a new song in 30 years Next song, Sex Type Thing. Can I just start this off by going, I am, I am, I am. This song is cancer to my soul. Like it's cool and it's very iconic. The chords is cool, but those verses are absolute shit. Um, so whatever. I, it, to me, it's a very typical song and I, I never liked it at this all. This first attempt at being rock stars. Yeah, this song only made it to 23 on the charts, but it was the first single that came off of really? their first album. I love how you say only made it to 23 on the charts. Like anybody would just die to be 23 on any chart. <laughs> right? Actually, like, that's a out of their, out of all of their chart toppings, any out of all their songs that made it on the chart, um, not even an album single, uh, a song called Revolution made it to number 30. Is Revolution when they did the John Lennon tribute? Because they did the John Lennon tribute when they played Revolution. Yeah, it's probably, that's, a, that's a badass version of Revolution. It's funny because for a band that gets covered a lot, they do really good covers. Like, I think Wyland is really good at changing his voice up to be like, whatever. You know? Well, 
They probably didn't put Dancing Days on this album. No, they didn't. That's but awesome. Dancing Days. I've is, heard that before. It was a great Zeppelin cover. Yeah, yeah, I, I hear that. That's that's one of those candidates for better than the original. Most definitely. Yep. And then track 13 is Days of the Week, uh, which I wrote down a note here, shoot me in the face. Could no, nothing to do with this song. <laughs> like at this point, well, I was like, get the fuck out of here. <laughs> at this point, and it kind of sucked. At this point, they were past their prime. Uh, they came out with an album in 90s, what was it, 1999, called Number Four. Coincidentally, it was their fourth album. But I think everything mm-hmm. after that was just kind of a best effort kind of thing. So this one made it to number four on the charts. It was one of their top hits. But as far as, you know, Stone Temple Pilots goes, they are way past their prime. Right, yeah. As soon as you start naming off, like, the days of the week and stuff, like, Monday, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, no, nah, that's not going to work for me. Done. <laughs> they were trying too hard. Yeah. Yeah, way too hard. Um, and then Sour Girl, I think there's a mellow tune, but I love the way his voice sounds. Like, it sounds, again, different than he has sounded in the past. Like, it sounds super angelic and clean um i like this song a lot yeah not just that i mean it's not even really under the radar but the song itself is great and the video was oh yeah was heroin tastic <laughs> it's <laughs> it's wyland like with his shirt off just he's just dancing like really weird wasteland and he's doing all of his you know like like weird heroin Steve's moves like, and Steve's like the color is really moves. It's almost saturated like, hey, what's that dad's called Heroin. All right, got it. <laughs> Iggy Pop dances Iggy, the same way. That is not dancing. Like, that could Iggy be Pop brothers. on a stage is one of the most. Like I would rather have my daughter go to like a Gawar concert when she grows up than to see Iggy Pop's performances. Like it is creepy. He he looks so weird. He's always looked weird, and he's always he's one of these like yep. you know stereotypical like. I've done so many drugs, it's amazing, I'm alive type artist. Anyways. album with an acoustic version of plush so we already covered this earlier in the album but they throw it on there just kind of as a bonus track i love it it's like one of the best my i think arguably one of the best performance of the song that i've like ever heard and i've heard different ones before in the past and it makes me want to listen to all the live stp which is really good like the unplugged albums and everything and um i'm starting to blame more of the production side, although they produce a lot of their stuff as a band, I uh, came to learn. But on the production side, I think it might be the yep. reason why sometimes he sounds weird. Because here, when he's live, and other times when he's live singing, dude, he sounds awesome. He sounds almost better than he does in a studio. And I just I like this song. It's like great, great stuff. Really, really good stuff. Tight. You know, it's it's pretty simple. There's two brothers in there. They're pretty pretty closely connected. Yep, definitely. And along with the CD, they released a DVD which had 18 additional songs on it, including like covers of like Sweet Emotion and yeah, Dead and Bloater, which I'm surprised didn't make it on the. Steve, how would you know all? How would you know about all in the suit you wear? I know a little bit about it. <laughs> That's what I'm saying. Is like they put they put that new song on there as opposed to a like a well-known song you know it was probably just like a decision that was you know who knows like i don't know how this band operates but yeah i was surprised too that they didn't have that song on there because it's one of their better known songs yeah tumble in the rough um temple pilots it's something that not a lot of people know it at all but it's super melodic it's like a does but it's one of my it's one of their greatest hits in my I don't know it. <laughs> Nobody's ever heard yeah, this song before, ever. Was. 
Steve, this, <laughs> they've sold 26 million albums. I'm sure somebody else knows. Steve. <laughs> Ever. Just me. I have the DVD, the one copy. No, but um, yeah, so overall verdict for this album. We've gotten to that point in the podcast. Steve, you want to give your overall verdict? Yeah, I'm going to give it a, a double yay. Um, I'm going to pick them apart. Some are better than others. But once you take all the best tracks from all their best albums, uh, it's going to get a double yay. Yeah, cool. I give it a single yay. Fair. Mostly because two or three of these songs are just too annoying for me to give it a full double yay. Um, I will say, rest in peace to Scott Whalen. And I will throw up a couple of YouTube links to a great performance of him playing um, Five to One with the living members of The Doors, as well as, uh, I believe, I forgot the name of the other Doors song, but he had a whole set where he played with the living members of The Doors, and you could have sworn it was, you know, it was Jim Morrison singing. And, uh, yeah. Wow, you know what's weird is that I was complaining so much about his singing, but the guy from Alice in Chains never bothered me, like once. Like, I can listen to Rooster a thousand times in a row. It's just a different timber to it. I don't know. Um, but yeah, I think awesome, awesome band. And a great album to cover. I'm glad we went through it. And, and you know, we feel bad for um, Wyland's family. I think it's it's addiction is a real problem that people struggle with. And, um, and yeah, and I think, you know, music contributes to it a great bit. I think people start to, not to quote Jon Stewart, but it's, you know, the got to get high to be creative uh, moniker or issue. And uh, we were talking about it the other day, and I put the conversation online about how it had been, it'd been a while since there was a death due to heroin in music. I don't know if that's just because music doesn't evoke those, or modern music doesn't evoke those kind of uh, feelings or lifestyle. All right, now you're probably asking to yourself, don't they all suck? And you're right, yes. And I realized, yeah, this one has to make the list. It's a song called You Remind Me of you Remind Me of My Jeep. Because oh, so that's what he me. says in the song. It's so funny to me. Oh. Did make it to the charts. This, this hit song was the fourth song Wait from R. Kelly to reach number one. Wait a second. This hit number one in the United States? Yeah. Uh, it stayed there for a week and it peaked at number four on the Billboard Hot 100. This song was popular. This song about how it reminds wow. R. Kelly, or how a, this girl that he's talking to reminds him of his Jeep. So he goes through the song, making all these lame <laughs> sexual references to or about the car. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Nobody ever needs to listen to it. Um, yeah, there's a. Do you get that double entendre? If like, you hear this song once, Steve, you... it's one time too many. <laughs> I, I love these. That's my favorite. I want to wax it. It's like if he it's got so scummy. Yeah, if if he got this inspiration to do this song from an actual car. <laughs> He was probably sitting there waxing his car one day. He's like, I want to wax that girl. I want to write a song about it. so shallow. I want to roll it. I want to pump it. I want to wax This line is killer. He's like, so pull up to my bumper and let the system sound. Is he talking to a girl? Is he talking to a car? What's he talking about? I don't even know. Dude, this made it to a number one hit. Like, I got some news for you, dude. <laughs> this is R. Kelly. Absolutely correct. <laughs> Doesn't even that funny. Yeah, that's that's like I think he's I think he's I think he secretly wants to fuck his car. He secretly wants to fuck his car. And there's just like <laughs> this had nothing to do with the girl, but uh, <laughs> so so let's just go over something real quick. I had some some notes to make. Like, I'm not even sure how you could be turned on by this song when you're too busy laughing over the objectification of you remind me of my Jeep. Like... Well, no, think about this. We both grew up in South Florida. You know the kind of relationships that guys had with their cars yeah, when you're a late teenager, oh God. early 20s. 
you love your car so much, it, like it's a girl, you know? Yeah. Uh, a lot of people name their cars after girls. Yeah, like it's a broken-ass 94 it. Honda Civic LX girl that you drop $1,000 into. Never get any of it back. <laughs> a lot of that in South Florida. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Some people like to justify so, it by calling it an investment. But, so, you know, I guess it's different for everyone. So, dude, I went on, like, the song. Like, I, 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 I went into the deep web when it comes to this song. Careful, you can get carried away down I there. I went into song meanings and put this song in to be like, yeah, what does the song meanings website have for this song? And I'm looking at the lyrics. What did other people have to say? I'm just laughing my ass off. The only one was some kid talking about like, yeah, this is some old school R. Kelly. This shit is so gay. It reminds me of Junior High. <laughs> it wasn't the only thing. I expected so much more. I expected it to be like a like a phony Amazon um, review. That <laughs> he puts like a special vibrato on the word Jeep. Which makes me laugh so hard. Like he's like, you remind me of my Jeep. I'm like, really, dude? Um, <laughs> and so I think, based on R. Kelly and this this type of shit, he's since made it possible for any and all aspiring R&B singers to make their own labels and use similar bum ass lyrics in their songs. It all started right here. You're right. Right. He's the. This Godfather is where you can just. You dumb. know what? Let me. I I can make a metaphor from having sex. Yeah, anything. Like, you could just be like, you know what? I love Nutella. You know what I mean? Like, you remind me of the hazelnut. Like, it could be that simple. And what's up with the album cover to his for self-titled album? Like, he looks like a freaking <laughs> alien, dude. Oh, it's terrible. And I didn't listen to anything else on this album because uh, my IQ is above 85. But <laughs> a couple songs down, a couple of tracks down, there's a song called Baby, 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 Baby. <laughs> Shit, you not? And I'm like, like what? Like, does he have five kids? Does he have like five girlfriends? Like, why is there specifically five? Ba- he could have just called it baby, but no, he took the time to be like baby, comma baby, comma baby, comma baby, comma baby, dot dot dot. Like he left it open ended to like there will be more baby to come in this song. <laughs> don't don't feel disappointed. At the- <laughs> We're gonna start with these babies. Now, I'm doing an album. This song came out on the album, Jeez. also called R. Kelly. And what's funny is that it says right here, the album was somewhat of a depart previous album's sexual innuendos. <laughs> yeah, sure. Sexual innuendo. The guy's just talking about, you're like my Jeep and I want to wax you. What the fuck? There's no innuendo there at all. <laughs> yeah, this is where he a got more, serious. A little more hard, ke- hard, yeah, this is- hard Kelly, hardcore. You know what's funny is that his best album was right before he got caught with his, you know, personal issues. He had that, like, double-sided album, like, two-disc album called R that had, like, Fly, uh, I Believe I Can Fly and a bunch of other songs that were... Yeah, and it wasn't that bad. Like, that was actually a pretty good album for R&B songs. I think he had to have changed production teams because, like, like, how do you sit in the studio and you're like, okay, R, what you got for me? Oh, I got this for you. Okay, turn on, drop the beat. You remind me of my Jeep. Like, there had to be a point where they're like, what? Did you just say you remind me of my Jeep? Like, can I see the lyrics? Like, what? This is, all right. You're I would not recommend time. you listen to it. Anyways, this is a terrible, terrible song. Yeah. This whole album is really kind of there. So, Steve, that's our show. Do you have any last words? Do you have any final words? Nope. Awesome. So, remember to subscribe, share, like us on Facebook, and follow us on Twitter. You don't got anything else, Steve? I'm out. I'm going to go have a cerveza. Have fun. All right, man. Later. Later. So, so you think you can tell Heaven from hell Blue skies for pain Can you tell me feel From the coast to rain Smile from